Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. We are as a church, and the things that we do around here. We, we jumped into the series by looking at the mission of the church, which is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. And if you want to really know why that's so important to us, why that is our DNA, I encourage you to go check out the first couple of messages uh, of the series. And then we jumped into our core values, which we have said are very different uh, than our core beliefs. Our, our core values help us live out the mission what is so important to us. We sometimes call the, the mission of our church the main thing, and so we work really hard to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. Uh, we have six core values, and as we have said in the past, uh, these core values are not just a list of words that we put on a wall somewhere that looks really nice and fancy. These values actually help us live out what it is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. And so if you're here and wondering what are the values that we have as, as Temple Baptist Church, let me just tell you. First of all, value number one, we value relationships. We're going to encourage relationships that are real and rich and authentic and transparent and, and rich towards love with one another. Because we believe when we do that, actually it helps us connect people to Jesus. Uh, we value spiritual growth. Uh, we're going to follow Jesus on this transforming adventure of faith. And when we do that, we believe it helps us connect people to Jesus and to one another. Uh, we value service. We're, we don't want to be a church that sits, just sits back and consumes and consumes. We want to be contributors. And when we become contributors, you know what? It helps us live out the mission, which is connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Uh, we value generosity. We're going to respond extravagantly to the needs that are around us. When we do that, we believe it really helps us connect people to Jesus and to one another. Uh, we value outreach. Uh, we're going to bring the good news to those who are far from Jesus. We believe when we do that, that helps us connect people to Jesus and to one another. And our final value is excellence. We're going to strive to give God our very best in everything that we do. And when we do that, we really believe. It helps us connect people to Jesus and to one another. I hope that by the end of the series that you'll be able to answer a couple questions. When somebody says to you, hey, don't you go to that church between Walmart and Lowe's? Uh, when I drive by there, I always seem to know it seems to be a pretty busy place. Well, what's, what's different about you guys? Like, What are you guys all about? I hope you can just jump in and say, hey, I'm so glad you asked that question. Let me tell you what we're all about. We are all about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. And I love the fact that I, I hear that more and more and more around here, like it's becoming part of our, our natural conversation. And then when someone says to you, okay, well, that's great. That, well, how do you do that as a church? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. We do that many different ways. We do it through relationships. We do it through spiritual growth. We, we do it through service and generosity and, and outreach and excellence. Well, we are on week six of this series. And today we're going to be looking at value number four, outreach. We're going to bring the good news for those who are far from Jesus. Why is it so important that people know Jesus? You know, if someone, you know, says, I, listen, I'm really happy with my life. Why do I need Jesus? What would you say? Well, first of all, I hope you'd say, you would say, well, Jesus didn't come just to make us happy. Because if... Um, 
If that was the only reason that we needed Jesus to be happy, and if people aren't happy, then they don't need Jesus. Let's be honest. If that's what he just only came for. The Bible indicates, though, however, that there is another reason someone needs Jesus. And that is that there is a holy, perfectly just God who one day, the Bible tells us, we will give account of our lives. We will stand before him and give an account. And I, and I believe God so desperately wants a relationship with men and women. But there was that problem. We, we know. Many of us know the problem. I mean, we've got a holy God. We've got sinful men. How, do, how does that relationship happen? Well, God so desperately wanted a, a relationship with us. He did something about it because he sent his son. The perfectly just, righteous son of God. So that we could be in relationship with me. And so that's why we, we find that it's so important to us, that outreach, that people would know Jesus. Now, I do realize that in the culture that we live today, most people don't think they're going to give an account of their life, right? Or if they are going to have to give an account of their life, they just think, well, you know what? I'm not perfectly righteous, but I'm pretty good in so many areas. I think I'll be able to squeak by. The thing is, though, one day we will stand before, and then what will our answer be? I, I, was, I tried my best. I was pretty good. And see, that's why Jesus, or why God made a provision. So no longer would God see our sin. It's sin, it would be the son, the righteousness of a son. So when we come to know Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, he does something so mysterious. That he takes the righteousness of his son and he wraps us around with his righteousness. And so when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. So as, as a church, because we believe everyone must be in a relationship with Jesus, we are going to make it a priority for us as a church. Now, I realize that sometimes priorities that we think are really important sometimes slip through the cracks, and all of a sudden what was so important to us and was a priority at one time no longer is. In fact, I, I think there's a good example of that in the Bible, and I'm going to ask you to turn Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Now, as soon as I say Revelation, people are like, oh, that makes me nervous, that book. Right. It's scary. Talks about the future. But the, that book is also written for us. And so Revelation chapter 2, a great illustration of a church who has priorities, but somewhere along the line it slipped through the cracks. Revelation chapter 2, we're just going to read the first uh, seven verses there. Starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? So he's writing to the pastor, the, lead, uh, the leadership of the church, right? He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lamps. And this is Jesus. So it's been written to the pastor. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you, have that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardship for my, for my name and have not grown weary. This is an amazing list of qualities to a church. In fact, if we saw a church like that today, we'd go, that is an amazing church. We would. But notice the next verse it says here, Yet, I hold this against you. You have forgotten. What? You have forgotten. 
your first loves. It seems as though somewhere along the line, the church in Ephesus had cleaned themselves up. They have tidied themselves up. They have put themselves together, and they look really good. But somewhere they lost a love for Jesus. Now, the birth of the church at Ephesus is actually found in the book of Acts, and it, is, it, it just kind of blows your water how this church actually began. In fact, when you read in Acts, and we'll look there in a second, when Paul goes to the city of Ephesus, and by the way, this is no just a small little town of Ephesus. This is actually the second largest city in the known world, only second to Rome. This is a major port. Um, people travel from all around the world to be at this city of Ephesus, and it, and it had uh, the, the uh, Temple of Diana, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. People would come all over just to see the spectacular uh, structure that stood there in the city of Ephesus. And Paul starts preaching, and believe it or not, the gospel explodes in the city. In fact, it explodes so much that it begins to affect the economy of the city, believe it or not. It says that riots broke out because the gospel was transforming people's lives, that those who had a business at the Temple of Diana who was selling souvenirs and trinkets and small little idols, their shops, nobody was buying anything, and shops were beginning to, to shut their doors, and so a riot starts. I mean, we gotta get rid of this guy. I mean, he, he's wrecking our livelihood, and so it just explodes in the city. I imagine if the gospel of... Um, exploded in the city of Sarnia that it actually caused strip joints to close down. You know, those, uh, those places where it's uh, very sinful things happen. Can imagine if it began to shut down and affect the people's livelihood? Well, that's what's happening here in the city of Ephesus. And things began to shut down. And if you have your Bibles, actually, let's just flip over there and look at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 and just see some of the things uh, that are happening there. Acts chapter 18. One of the uh, things that are happening is that, you know, there's these great healings and, and demons are being cast out. In fact, there's this one story. It's fascinating there in chapter 18. It's the seven sons of Scivia. Scivia was one of the Jewish priests. And um, they were calling on the name of Jesus, the name that the apostle Paul was preaching, and, and they were casting out demons. And, and so they come to this one situation they come to a man who has a demon, and they say, you know, uh, we, uh, we call in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, and we cast out that demon. And the demon doesn't come out, actually. It's a pretty amazing story. What happens is the demon speaks back to the men. He says, hey, I, I, I know Jesus. I've heard about Paul. I don't know who you guys are. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were in that kind of environment, we were getting ready to cast out, and they begin to speak back to you. <laughs> it's going to be a little nerve-wracking. I know Jesus. I've heard about Paul, but I do not know you. And, the, and in there in Acts chapter 18, what happens is this man who is filled with the, this evil spirit attacks the seven sons. And it says that they, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard stories about you know, when two men fight. There's always two stories of who won. You know, there's the guy that says, well, I gave him an upper right. Boy, he really felt that. And the other guy's telling his friends, well, I took his face and threw it into the wall. And so nobody really knows who won the fight. Well, we know who won this fight. Because when you go into a house with pants and you come out with no pants, you know who won. Right? <laughs> you go in with some britches, you come out with no britches, and you're bleeding. 
we know what, what's happened here. And so this begins to spread. In fact, look at Acts chapter eight, um, 18, or uh, 19, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high regard. When people heard about that story, they were captivated by who Jesus was. Captivated. In fact, in such a way that they, that they held Jesus' name in high regard. This is not some Sunday morning worship service. This is men and women walking the streets of Ephesus who begin to hold the name of Jesus in high regard. This week I was actually reading about a, a revival that kind of took place on the streets of, of St. John, New Brunswick back in the 1800s. And one person described this revival where the gospel was exploding in the city. It says, you can hardly walk through the streets of St. John, New Brunswick and not hear the people praising God. That's what a revival. That's what's happening here in Ephesus. Word is spreading about the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden, they're being held, his name is being held in high regard. People are captivated by Jesus. And my prayer is that we as a church would be captivated by Jesus. That Jesus would be the front and center. That Jesus would be the one that we rejoice in. That Jesus would be the one that we celebrate. That Jesus would be the one that is exalted. And not just in here, but out there. I know sometimes that seems weird that we're captivated and excited about things out there. But can you imagine if people begin to see what Christ has done for us? It begins to stir in people's lives. In fact, look at the next verse, what happens in verse 18. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What's happening here is sin is being confessed openly, by the way. Those who are involved in witchcraft... (laughs) are coming to know Jesus. In fact, it says that they, they even burned up all their books. It says 50,000 drachma, which I think in today's economy is about $4 million worth. You imagine how that's affecting the economy. $4 million worth of resources has just been burnt right up. And so people who are involved in sorcery and, 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 pre, and um, prostitutes who are up at the Temple of Diana are getting saved. And, and those who Uh, Go and get the prostitutes are getting saved. And people who are involved in witchcraft are getting saved. And it says that the power of God really began to spread. Which you know what that means? For the church of Ephesus? The church of Ephesus, I want to tell you, it's getting pretty messy. Because you got prostitutes in there. You got people that are using prostitutes. You got sorcerers. You got witchcraft. You got, like, that church is becoming a little messy. In fact, it gets a little grimy when you think of the people that are coming. And should we not rejoice when mess and the grime and the dirt of the world comes in through our doors? What an incredible opportunity. That's what's happening here in the city of Ephesus. And I, I, I'll be quite honest with you. be really frank. I don't think I would ever really want to be a pastor of a church that there's a super clean church where it's all smiles and everything on the outward looks really, really good and it looks like we have no issues. I wouldn't want that because 
that would make me think we're not even on mission then anymore. I heard someone say this, it's okay to be not okay when you come through our doors, but it's not okay to remain there, right? And so messy people come and and they bring up their they bring their mess and you know what happens and what happens sometimes that mess begins to clean up and you get excited but then God invites more mess into our church and I get excited about that and when that happens I think of the church of Ephesus you you know it's going to be really super messy but that's what amazes me it says then word begins to spread and they grew in power this is this, this is the church in Ephesus the power of Satan is broken and men and women are growing Listen, I'll tell you, when I, um, uh, on, I think it's Thursday nights, I can't remember what night it is actually, but sometimes I'll walk through the hallways here, and we have a class that's for those who are struggling, working through addictions. Every time I walk by that class, I'm like, thank you, God, for giving people like that, who are working through those things. Messy. Yeah, messy. And thank you, God, that you allow them to come through our doors, that we have this opportunity where the power of Satan is broken and men and women are growing in, the, in their faith. Now I realize for some people that's really, really difficult because they like to be part of a church where it's clean and good and everything seems to be in good shape. And if that's the kind of place you're looking for, this may not be the place for you. That is the reality. You know, maybe you're looking for something that's more safe where you can just kind of grow and... and um, have your Christian fellowship, which is great. I mean, we'd never want anybody to leave here, but I want you to know we're going to be a church that's messy. That's the reality. That's who we are, and that's who we're going to be. I don't know about you. I want to be around people who are far from Jesus. Like, I want that. It's like opportunities. It's like a gravitational pull. So at our church, I don't know, we have 800, 900, something like that on the weekend. And so there's probably, I don't know, let's say there's 100 people here that are really sold out for Jesus. I mean, they are all in. There's no question. I'm sold out. I'm in. You have that center group. And, and then you have maybe two or 300 people that are on the outside. You know, they don't have it all figured out. They're, they, 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 have, they love Jesus, but their life sometimes is still a little bit of messy, and they're trying to work through that. And then you have that outer circle, which is really messy, the people. And of course, our desire is that that outer ring begins to move inward. And then that ring begins to be part of that center core, that gravitational pull. That's what we want to be as a church. And by God's grace, those who are immature will become mature. And by God's grace, more immature will come. Praise the Lord. That we'll be able to witness where wild becomes orderly. And I'm inviting you to be a part of it all as we connect with those who are messy. But here, the, this is a dangerous place, by the way, for, for Christians. Those who are followers of Jesus, those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, when we get to the point where we, our Christianity becomes very self-centered, you know what happens? We stop loving people and we start judging people. When it becomes inward. In fact, we start running away from those who are far from God. 
And I understand, I understand the tension, I get it. There will always be that tension of how much before it begins to influence me. And, and, and about my kids, like, you know, I, 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 I want to protect my kids. Yes, I get that. But just think, if, if they never have an unsafe friend, if they never have a friend who's a little bit messy, then what? Then what? What I fear is that we retreat so much that we no longer even know people who are far from God. I mean, remember what Jesus said at, at his ascension? Go into all the world and, and let your light shine. Where does light shine the best? In the darkness. But sometimes we as Christians, we, we think that the command of Jesus was run into your house, shut the lights off, and hope that nobody finds you in there. <laughs> but where to go out and shine in the darkness what so often happens for churches, it, it turns inward. And they start getting involved in things of no importance at all. Or people get in conversations that are, are divisive and distract from what are the most important issues. I just finished uh, teaching for a whole week at, at the Word of Life Bible Institute uh, this past week. And and um, we're studying First Timothy and Second Timothy, and I was—I I don't think I realized I could not get over how many times the Apostle Paul is addressing Timothy, the pastor who happened to be there in Ephesus, by the way. He says over and over again, "Do not get involved." He says in mindless chatter and godless chatter and ungodly conversation and malicious talking and divisive interaction with one another. He talks about that's what tends to happen when churches begin to to look inward those are the results and it can happen to the best of churches because we just read about a church in revelation 2 i mean look at what they're doing they, they knew exactly what they believed they could separate right and wrong and they were holding true but something was missing their first love it can happen to the best of churches. It could happen to us. And that's why we, that's why we put it right there. One of our core values is outreach. That we will tell the good news to those who are far from Jesus. The Apostle Paul actually writes a letter, kind of, I think it helped me have a better understanding of this whole idea of, of sharing my faith. He, he, the Apostle Paul writes this tiny little letter, and it's, it's to his friend. It's a personal letter. I feel like it has emotion in it. It's his friend who is a successful businessman, and he, he hosts a house church in his home. You know, similar maybe like one of our small groups that we have that meet uh, every week. And his friend's name is, is Philemon. And Philemon has a, a slave who, who escapes. And of course, we're, we're talking about a, a time in history when, when people own slaves. Um, that's not condoning it, uh, um, but that was just a period. And so this slave, who is from Colossae, this is where Philemon was, he, he escapes from Philemon. And believe it or not, he runs and he runs and he finds himself from Colossae, which is an Asia minor, he finds himself in Rome, 2,000 kilometers away. He's run that far. I have no idea how he got there. 
We don't know that. But he arrives in Rome, and somehow there's a conversation, there's an interaction with this slave, Onesimus, and the Apostle Paul. And after this conversation, after Paul talks about who Jesus Christ is, remember, the gospel is exploding, right? all over. And so we have this uh, slave Onesimus. He actually comes to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And he doesn't just, just become a convert. He becomes a disciple. I mean, there was literal, radical transformation in his life. And something in Onesimus says, you know, I've got to go back. I've got to go back to my master. Now, I don't know if this conversation happened or not, but I you know, can picture Paul and Onesimus talking, and Onesimus saying to Paul, listen, I, I think I need to go back. I'm kind of convicted. Now, the scriptures say that Onesimus was actually a great encourager to Paul. Paul didn't want him to go. He says, I got to go back to my master Philemon. I don't know if this was true or not, but I picture Paul going, Philemon? Philemon of Colossae? I know him. He's a personal friend of mine. And so Paul writes this letter to give to Onesimus. I, I, I think he's vouching for Onesimus that his life is transformed. He's not the same man that once ran away. He's not the same man who's coming back to you. And Paul says, I want you to receive him back, not just as a slave, but as your brother in the Lord. And the letter has a little bit of emotion. And if you just flip over there, in fact, Philemon, I want to read just, just a verse to you. It just really struck me this week. Philemon, it's right before the book of Hebrews, right after Titus. Tiny little book, easy to, to miss. And in verse 4 of Philemon, there's only one chapter. It says, I always thank my God as I remember you. He's talking to his friend Philemon, right? Paul says, I always thank my God, Philemon, as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Why is he thanking the Lord? Because I, I hear your love for Jesus. And I hear how you love the followers of Jesus, like the way you interact, the compassion, everything you have for them. Then he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So he's thankful for uh, Philemon, who, who loves the Lord, he loves the followers of Jesus. But then he says to him, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith. I mean, I think if we call ourselves Christians, anybody, I think most of us are going to say, yeah, 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 I think that's an important part, that we should be actively sharing our faith. I don't think anybody's really going to disagree with that. The question is, you know, how does that happen? How, how do we do that? Because sometimes we say, well, I don't, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that because I, I may be associated with those weird people. Right? Or I don't know if I should really force my faith on somebody. But I actually think there's another reason why so often we are not active in sharing our faith. And that is, we often say, myself included, I don't feel like I know enough. I don't know enough. If I knew more, well, then I would share more. But honestly, I, I don't know enough. But notice what the Apostle Paul says here. This is completely different. I, 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 I just never saw this before. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I, I saw a pastor illustrate it this way. It was, I, I, I got it. I connect it. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's saying, 
Share your faith, okay? Share it. Be active. And when you share your faith, you know what begins to happen? I'll tell you what happens. Lives are changed. You share your faith. You, you, you are active in sharing your faith, and all of a sudden it begins to influence. You may be the person who just spreads the seed. You may be the one who comes along and waters it. You may be the one who actually uh, harvests it. But when you share your faith, lives change. And this is what I love what the Apostle Paul says. And when that happens, you know what happens? You get a full understanding of the good things in Christ. And when you get a full understanding, you know what happens? I'll tell you what happens. You begin to look outward. You love God and you love people. And you know what happens when you look outward? <laughs> you share your faith. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. You share your faith. You be active in your faith and lives will change. And when lives change, it says, then you will have the full understanding of the good things of Christ. And when you have that full understanding, you're just going to be looking outward, and you're going to see people who are in need of Jesus. And when you do that, you're going to want to share your faith. But this is what happens. We so often say, but I need to know more before I share. And so when we say, I need to know more, you know, we don't share anymore. And because we don't share, lives are not transformed. And when lives aren't transformed, we don't get to experience the full understanding of the good things of Christ. And when we don't have that, all of a sudden we don't look upward anymore. We look inward. And when we look inward, you know what happens? We don't share our faith. So the Apostle Paul says, it's not because you have to know more. It's that when you actually share your faith, then you actually do see more of the fullness of the good things in Christ. And when you share your faith and a life is changed, you play the part of someone's divine story. We all have a story. Like I said, you may be the one who plants the seed. You may be one that waters the seed. You may be one that who harvests the seed. But whatever part you play, your faith grows and you become a part of someone's divine story. So people have said, well, well, okay, I get it. I, I, I get it. I need to share. But how do I share my faith? That's where I'm struggling, Don. How do I do that? I think one of the ways you can do it is so simple. Just share your story. Just share your story. How Christ has transformed you. That's your most powerful weapon is your changed life. You know, there's a story in um, John chapter 9 where there's the, the, a blind man, and Jesus comes along, and, and the disciples say, Who, why is he blind? Is it because of his sin? Is it because of uh, his parents' sin? And, and Jesus, no, it's actually to reveal, to be an example, to reveal the glory of God. And so he, this, this man who's blind all of a sudden now sees because Jesus heals him, and then the religious leaders are very confused, and they're like, well, what happened to you? And he says, well, I met Jesus. I, 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 that couldn't happen. You, you're not the man that people think. It must be your, you must, you must have a twin. You, you just look like the man who was blind. And he says, no, no, no. And, and they don't believe him. They call his parents. They said, is this your son who was blind? And they go, yes, it is our son. Well, what happened to him? And he says, don't ask us, ask him. 
And so there's all these theological arguments that are happening with the religious leaders. And he just says, I can only tell you what I can tell you. <laughs> I was once blind, but then Jesus allowed me to see again. And now I can see. That's my story. Right? So share your story. What Christ has done for you. That's one of the ways that you can share. Another way is just live your life in a way that others would want. Like live your life in a way that others would want. You know, you, you think of the story in Acts where it's Paul and Silas. Uh, they're in prison, and of all things, it's so crazy. They're in prison, they're suffering for the cause of Christ, and they're singing, of all things, singing. And it says that an earthquake came and all the prison cell doors opened. And so he gave the opportunity for all the prisoners to escape. And, and the prison guard, who back in those days, if you lost a prisoner, well, then they take your life. And so he's getting ready to take his own life when Paul yells out in the darkness, hey, don't do it, we're all here. And the jailer comes and he, and he, and he notices that they're still there, they haven't escaped. And his question is like, why are you still here? <laughs> and, the, and the apostle Paul shares with him and, and, and the jailkeeper like wants what Paul has. In fact, it says he and his whole household got saved <laughs> because of how they lived their life in front of those who didn't know Jesus. And someone might say to you, how is it that you, you, you seem to be at peace? You just were given a six-month diagnosis that you were, you're going to die. So what is it in you? And people begin to you ask questions and see something different in you. Listen, you just went through a messy divorce. How, how is it that you can carry yourself this way? And they begin to ask questions because you're living a life that, that, that is so attractive they can't figure it out. What is it? I can still remember when my dad uh, died about a half an hour after he had died, the doctor and the nurse took us into a side room and, and was talking to us and they, they specifically said, there's something different about this family. Like where there was no sense of panic like, you know, your husband, your father, he, he's, he's dying, and there was no sense of panic. There was a, an incredible peace in the room. Live in such a way that people want what you have. This is one of the ways that you can share your faith. We live in a city that is very far from God. And we have the greatest story to tell. Let's not hold it in secrecy, right? Let's tell people the greatest story. So, we can share our story. We can live a life that others would want. I think another thing we could do is so simple. Invite someone to church with you. Just invite somebody to church with you. Do you remember that story that Jesus has an encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus, the Jewish man, is at the well, and there's anything that doesn't happen, it, it does not happen where Jewish people talk to Samaritans. And of all things, there's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. Off, it seems like that is just not supposed to happen. But it was a divine encounter, and he's at the well, and he says to the woman, which the woman is shocked that he speaks to her, can I have a drink of water? And he went to, she get a, a drink of water, and, and then he talks about a water that would quench her thirst forever. She's talking about her spiritual condition, and her life has changed. 
She, she understands he, he knows everything about her. In fact, the stuff that she's even trying to hide, because uh, Jesus will go get your husband and come back, mom back, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, I know you don't, because you've had five husbands, and you actually are living with a man now. And she is like, how does he know that about me? He knows my mess. He offers me living water. And he run, she runs back to the town and tells Oliver, you've just got to come. Like, sir, you've got to come and meet this man. Like, come and see what he talks about. It's an opportunity for you to say, you know, just come. And you'll be amongst people who, whose lives really one time were really messy, but God transformed them. So as simple as that. Invite somebody. Share your story. Live a life that others would see there's something different that they would want it. Invite someone to church. Listen, in the city of Sarnia, what, we have roughly around 75,000 people. And the vast majority do not know Jesus. It's such a huge opportunity for us the church, as a church. But I think we've got to be willing to make sure we understand that means mess is going to come through our doors. Some of the grime is going to come through our doors. And we've got to be okay with that. I pray that we'll be so burdened for people who are far from Jesus that we would tell all of Sarnia there is a God who loves them despite their hang-ups and their messes and their addictions and their sinful lifestyle, that there is a God who loves them, who offers a life of forgiveness, a life of hope, a life of compassion, a life of transformation, an eternal life. And that they would find him so my prayer for us is that we would be bold, <laughs> bold. And, and my prayer is that all of us would pray boldly and pray that God would give us those opportunities to be able to share our story, to live a life that others would want, invite somebody to church. That's why we value outreach because we want to bring the good news to those who are far, far from God. And I believe if we boldly pray and ask God to give us these opportunities, you know what? God's going to give them to you. And you know what happens when you begin to share your faith? Lives change. And when lives change, you begin to experience the fullness of the good things. You, you have this full understanding of the good things that you have in Christ. And when you understand that, it just helps you look outwardly to those who don't know Jesus. You love God and you love people. And because of that, you just want to share your faith more. That's what I pray for us as a church. That we truly will value outreach. Because there's a city who needs to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we pray? Uh, Father, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, uh, sometimes messages like this can be, um, feel like maybe a little in our face. Uh, Lord, the one thing about it is I don't want us, Temple Baptist Church of Sarnia, Ontario, to be like the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2 where they knew all the right stuff 
They had a love for their own. They knew good doctrine, but somewhere they lost their love to reach people. And so God, I pray that if, if for some reason we have somewhere a lot the priority of reaching people who are far from Jesus, if, if somehow we've let that slip to the crack, I pray God that that would once again rise to the top. God, we so value that because we're so invested in connecting people to Jesus because we do believe that's the one relationship that is the defining moment in someone's life. And so God, would you move in us as a church family? God, I pray you start with me first. Open my eyes to those who are far from Jesus. And God, fill me, fill this church with a love for the messy, for the grimy, for the dirty our world. And then as we see that, Lord, we begin to see how you can transform a life like no one else can. So God, in a fresh and a new way, we give ourselves to you and pray, God, that you would this week, this week, give us those opportunities and help us to be bold and step into those opportunities and share the greatest story known to mankind. God loved us and sent his son Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.